Hello. Uh, you look like you've heard a ghost. Long time no see. Uh, I am not a ghost. My name is Joshua Spellman, and I am your very much alive, at least on the outside, host of Crimes and Witch Demeanors, the podcast where we get to the good old-fashioned truth behind our favorite ghostly tales using historic and archival resources. Maybe you care where I've been. Maybe you were even happy to hear me go. But long story short, I was creatively and emotionally burnt out. I was pouring myself into this podcast, which takes a lot of research, pouring myself into my drag, sewing garments, cultivating my TikTok, now with 30,000 followers. Woo! And lots of things going on in my personal life, and I just ended up crashing. I had completely stopped doing everything. And when I mean everything, I just mean everything. I had some health stuff to worry about, but I digress. We're here. I'm back. And I'm going to do my best to stay motivated and on top of things. And today's podcast episode is something a little bit new and something I'm really excited about. And I don't want to give too much away, but we're going to investigate the satanic underpinnings of a famous worldwide attraction, city, and natural landmark that just so happens to be in my backyard. And that is... Niagara Falls. In addition to the falls in the area surrounding itself, we're also going to be looking at one of my favorite hiking spots, the aptly named Devil's Hole. But be sure to stick around for the truth portion. As always, it is much more interesting than the myth. So for lack of a better word, let's dive right in. Niagara Falls, one of the seven wonders of the natural world, is a group of three waterfalls, the Bridal Veil Falls, Horseshoe Falls, and the American Falls. It spans the border between the Canadian province of Ontario and the state of New York. Located on the Niagara River, which drains into both Lake Erie and Lake Ontario, Niagara Falls has the highest flow rate of any waterfall in North America, more than 168,000 square meters, or 6 million cubic feet of water goes over the crest every minute. So much history surrounds Niagara Falls, it's near impossible to dive into. From the initial exploration by white folk, exploitation of the falls and indigenous peoples, to the history of hydroelectric power, the French and Indian War, or Seven Years' War, strange mortuary science experiments, and daredevils who've ridden down the falls in barrels, only some of which have survived. The history of Niagara Falls, much like the flow of water over the crest, seemingly never ends. However, while Niagara Falls is heralded for its natural beauty, booming tourist trade, and rich history, behind its bridal veil lies something sinister, brooding just beneath the foam. At first glance, all seems innocent enough, if you discount historic atrocities to its indigenous inhabitants, but as you peer a little closer, a pattern seems to emerge. Perhaps most glaringly obvious is Devil's Hole State Park, named as such for no discernible reason. Devil's Hole State Park overlooks and descends into the Niagara River Gorge, a 6.8-mile-long canyon carved by the Niagara River, with cliffs reaching as high as 1,200 feet in some areas. The hiking in this particular park can become quite hazardous. In fact, the current of the Niagara River in the gorge is one of the most powerful river currents in the world which, unsurprisingly, has taken many, many lives. 
Perhaps this is where the hellish name originates. Or perhaps it is partially due to the famed cave halfway down the steep escarpment, the Cave of the Evil Spirit. While not a clever name, it sums up the origin quite well. Long ago, the great spirit who created man sealed away the evil spirit within the walls of the Niagara Gorge. However, over time, as man turned evil and began waging wars, the walls of the gorge began to split. Eventually, the cave opened, and the evil spirit was once again free, cursing all those who entered its cave. Famously, the explorer Robert Cavalier de La Salle ignored the warnings of a Seneca guide not to enter the cave. Once inside the cave, no longer able to see the light of day, he heard a voice call to him. Return, said the voice. Return to your home in Canada, and wealth, honors, a long life, and usefulness will be yours. And when death comes, generations of your descendants shall follow you to your grave, and history shall transmit your name of prosperity as the successful founder of a great empire. Proceed to the West, and although gleams of hope may, at times, shine in your path, ingratitude and disappointment will be sure to meet and follow you, until a treacherous murder shall end your days, remote from human habitation, without the shelter of even a wigwam of a friendly red man. The eagles of the desert shall strip the flesh from your bones, which shall lay bleaching under the tropical sun, unburied and unprotected by the cross you so now devotedly cherish. LaSalle foolishly disregarded the warning of the evil spirit. LaSalle's once great fortune eventually dwindled and he became poor and destitute. In a last-ditch effort to regain his wealth and fame, he decided to go out west to Louisiana to begin a colony there, doing exactly what the spirit warned him against. Even LaSalle's precious crucifix of his Christian god could not save him from the curse of the evil spirit. LaSalle was eventually murdered by his own men and left to rot in the woods of the Mississippi River, the vultures and birds pecking at his corpse. But the city's connection to the crown prince of hell and malevolent spirits do not end at the lower river and the Niagara Gorge. Instead, we must look to the top of the falls in the Niagara Rapids and turn our attention to five innocuous islands. Bisecting the Bridal Falls and the Horseshoe Falls is an island known as Goat Island. It is the location of the famous Terrapin Point Observation Area and is large enough that it carries not only pedestrian traffic, but car and trackless train traffic as well. Goat Island is largely wooded with many nature trails, and it provides access to the Cave of the Winds tour, which takes you down the escarpment to the foot of the falls. Just off the southern shoreline of Goat Island are the Three Sisters Islands. These small islands provide an excellent view of the upper rapids. They're connected by a series of bridges and consist solely of nature trails. Ecologically and biologically speaking, they are fascinating. Each sports a variety of microhabitats and possesses its own unique floristic character. However, as is the nature of, well, nature, it's not all pretty petals and flowers. From these islands, it is all too easy to access the raging rapids, which spells certain deaths for those unlucky enough to be swept into the current and then hurled over the falls. That is, if the large boulders hiding in the cataracts or the undertow don't do you in first. Before European settlers came to the area, Three Sisters Islands were home to mysterious rituals. Iroquois shamans would offer sacrifices and gifts to the spirits that dwelled inside the mist-shrouded cave at the base of the falls. Presently, mediums and psychics who visit these islands can hear voices and screams of spirits long gone. 
Lastly, there's Luna Island, which, like Goat Island, bisects two of the falls, but unlike its larger counterpart, it's situated between the American and Bridal Veil Falls. Aside from the sacrifices, you may be asking, how are these islands satanic? Well, let's take a closer look at the names. Devil's Hole, that was easy, quite obvious. Devil is right in its name. And while innocuous at first glance, you may not realize, Goat Island. The goat has long been a symbol of the horned demon Lucifer. In Luna Island, the moon. The celestial body where dark rituals take place beneath. And perhaps the most insidious of these island names, Bridal Veil Falls and the Three Sisters. It's subtle, but for those who know satanic lore, we all know the legend of the devil marrying three sisters. Niagara Falls has always been a nexus of spiritual and physical power, as evidenced by its hydroelectric power plants and numerous malevolent hauntings, and the great spirits that native tribes worshipped and feared. The city was erected and planned around these power sources, built to exploit and harness them. Niagara Falls was created in the same fashion as Washington, D.C., both hiding occult symbols in their street and place names, building their streets in the shape of symbols, used to exploit the negative energies they draw forth and route them to areas of their choosing. Next time you visit the falls, remember to hold that crucifix tight. Or don't. It didn't quite help LaSalle, did it? That is so crazy. Why isn't this talked about more? All these satanic connections that I just made up. Yeah, I made it all up. Kind of. All the place names are real, but they're not satanic in origin. With all the crazy conspiracy theories flying around these days, I wanted to illustrate how easy it is to draw lines between seemingly unconnected things and create a new narrative. It's all too easy. The devil did marry three sisters and is often represented as a goat, but... That's not why these places are named this way, but I guess conspiracy theories might take my newly made-up theory and run with it. It's not even a theory. It's more of a fake hypothesis. It's just a fabrication is what it is. They're going to take my fabrication and run with it. And to be clear, to my knowledge, no one has drawn up these satanic connections of Niagara Falls place names before me. Maybe they have. I haven't seen it anywhere. But while I was researching something else entirely, I was like, wow, these names really have a connection to the devil. How did I not notice this before? And then I did some actual research and I learned the true origins of these place names. The Three Sisters, Goat Island, Luna Island, the Bridal Veil Falls, and Devil's Hole are very real, but they don't have any connection to Satanism or the occult. But they do have really interesting and unique histories. Devil's Hole and the Niagara Gorge are two of my favorite places in the entire world. I have spent countless hours alone on those treacherous trails. The trails can be very narrow and precarious, and they're made from silty, crumbling rock, and overhead you have risk of boulders falling. And when I say boulders, I mean boulders. And then directly below you, right to the side of you, is one of the most powerful river currents in the world. Of course, my favorite time to go hiking is when it's raining, because there's usually not a lot of people there, but that's 
pretty reckless because how slippery it gets and how easy it is to uh, fall. But it's probably like one of the only reckless things that I like participating in willingly. But I love it. I have a deep personal and spiritual connection to the land in that area, and learning its history has definitely made me appreciate it even more. Sadly, people do die there on the trails. I know one individual personally who has. And as with many things in nature, it's to be both revered and feared. And nature has many sides. And sadly, while nature can create wonderful things, it can also destroy. That being said, let's talk about the history of Devil's Hole itself and the state park that is named after it. The area surrounding Devil's Hole has a lengthy indigenous history long before white settlers even came into the area. Devil's Hole received its name from either the story I told earlier of the evil spirit or from the area's inhabitation by the neuter nation. The land around Devil's Hole was mainly inhabited by what the French called the neuter nation of Indians, and Devil's Hole was used as a hiding place during times of war or conflict, and in order to keep their hiding place secret, the neuters would kill anyone who entered the gorge. The people that went to investigate would never return to tell the location of the neuter's hiding spot, and this is possibly the root of the tale of the evil spirit. However, I will say that the same friend slash medium that saw the lady at my house before I even talked about her or described her, which I still haven't told the story to you all, but I will eventually. Well, they came on a hike with me to Devil's Hole State Park. And this individual, he was not from the area at all. He's not even from like the same region of the state, so he had no knowledge of Devil's Hole or its history. But halfway down the gorge during our hike, he mentioned he sensed like a very old, evil, malevolent spirit in the area. And I didn't think anything of it at the time because I didn't know the history of Devil's Hole. But now knowing of the evil spirit, I can't help but wonder, was he sensing the evil spirit? What made Devil's Hole such a great hiding spot for the neuter nation was not only the fact that it's set in the cliff face, but a large rock known as Ambush Rock was positioned perfectly above the cave entrance so that nothing could be shot down into it. Now, the Niagara Gorge and Devil's Hole State Park is prone to rock slides, or or boulder slides, really. It's made up of massive limestone and dolostone boulders. You would probably be amazed at how large they are. I can't even, like, describe. They are absolutely massive. So Ambush Rock was removed for safety reasons, though a rock fall in the mid-1990s left a similar rock, albeit much, much smaller, at the entrance to the cave. According to an old brochure for the area published in 1890, at the top of the park, before you begin your descent down the gorge, there was a large boulder, one of many, as I said, known as Council Rock. Council Rock was shaped like an arrow, but centuries of weathering slowly changed its shape, and it's now believed to have been removed sometime since the publication of this brochure, which is now 120 years old, since a lot of work has been done in the area for safety reasons. Council Rock was said to be a meeting place where yearly councils of native people would take place. Others claim that it was a, quote, worshipping stone or that it was connected with indigenous, quote, religion. And legend has it that due to the way the Seneca chiefs would stand on the rock during meetings with one hand on the rock, that anyone who touches the rock can drive the devil away for a year. 
Of course, all these narratives come from white folk, and I feel a lot of, quote, native legends and stuff that you hear about published in these types of brochures are often fabricated by white people for like shock value or tourist reasons. And it's just just a great time to remind you that indigenous people are still alive. They're still around and thriving. History and modern narratives like to act like indigenous people are ancient, mysterious, and extinct, but they're not. It just helps us push the atrocities that we've done to them further away from our minds. So we think that, oh, you know, that was long, long ago. And it's happening as recently as today, right now. But I digress. In fact, the Seneca Nation still has a very strong presence in like the Niagara Falls, Buffalo area. So it's possible that stories of Council Rock still exist within their oral histories and traditions, that of which I do not know. There was also a massacre known as the Devil's Hole Massacre that occurred on September 14th, 1763, during the Seven Years' War, also known as the French and Indian War. A supply train of 350 British soldiers were making their way from Fort Niagara to to Fort Fort Schlosser. Oh my goodness. Fort Schlosser. Wow, that's a mouthful. Stopped to rest for dinner on a large flat rock near Devil's Hole. While enjoying their supper... The soldiers were attacked by a group of Senecas. There was a massive loss of life, and those not killed directly by the ambush jumped off the precipice to have at least a glimmer of a chance at survival. But those that jumped, if they did survive the fall, did not survive very much longer as the Senecas sent the wagons, baggage, and horses of the supply chain off the edge after them, crushing and killing those soldiers that remained. Of the 350 British soldiers, only two survived. And now for the matter of Devil's Hole Cave. Sadly, modern-day Devil's Hole Cave bears no resemblance to what it once was. It's now covered in graffiti and often littered with trash as it's become a favorite place for wayward teenagers to party. There is a large cave at the bottom of the gorge that many people think is Devil's Hole Cave, but it's not. In fact, there are many caves in the area, some of which aren't even true caves, but just massive boulders that have fallen on top of each other to create the look of a cave. To find the real Devil's Hole Cave, you have to make your way partially down the gorge precipice and then veer off to a path that backtracks partially back up the cliff. And in this area is the cave, and it is made up of what is known as Dequeue Dolostone, a fine crystalline dolostone that's very dark gray in color. The cave's entrance is 10 feet wide and 8 feet high, and while the entrance is rather tall, the initial passage of the cave has a gentle incline, and by the time you make your way about 12 feet into the cave, the ceiling has shrunk to only 4 feet high. However, if you keep pressing onward, the ceiling will once again reach a height of 9 feet. Here, at this point where the ceiling is highest, there is a man-made wall, beyond which there is a drop in the floor of about 3 feet or so. Beyond that wall, where the ceiling is about six feet tall, it continues and eventually narrows to a width of only six inches. This six-inch wide passage continues for about ten feet before veering off to the east, where you lose sight of the path, but presumably this cave is much deeper than we think it is. Inside of Devil's Hole Cave was once a mineral spring, but it seems to have since dried up, much like the now-defunct stream in the area known as Bloody Run. 
And that's the long and short on Devil's Hole. It's not demonic, but it's definitely a hole. What? Child, anyway. Um, back to the city of Niagara Falls. There are so many actual haunted locations in the city of Niagara Falls, many of which you may have seen on television, like the famous Red Coach Inn, which I could cover another time if you like. Let me know. But I do want to set the record straight on the islands, which I did so dirty. These islands were a favorite place of mine as a child, and my brother did almost fall into the rapids, which was pretty frightening. They should have more safety procedures in place, but I digress. The three sisters on their own don't even sound that demonic, but then you add in the Bridal Veil Falls and you're like, wow, conspiracy. But no, the three sister islands did not get their names from the Brides of Satan. Instead, they're named after the daughters of General Parkhurst Whitney. Their names were Celinda, Angelina, and Azanath Whitney. Although, that does sound a little bit demonic. Azanath Metrion Zinthos? Azarath Metrion Zinthos? No? Anyone? Teen Titan? Okay. Um, I need to bury that one, just like the three sisters are buried in the famous Oakwood Cemetery. Well, maybe not famous Oakwood Cemetery, maybe infamous Oakwood Cemetery, as it's the only place in the world where individuals, not many, but some, are interred using a unique form of corpse preservation known as cementation. Essentially, bodies would be encased in cement for years, and then the, quote, watery portions of the body would be absorbed into the cement, leaving behind a well-preserved husk, along with a perfect cement cast of the original corpse. The story behind cementation and the, maybe I should not say it like that, cementation, probably sounds better than cementation, you might get the wrong idea, Uh, But the story behind this and its inventor is really interesting. His name, and I am not joking here, was Judge Theodore Graves Hewlett. And he was quite the kook. Having Graves in your name, I think, just sets you up to be like a mad scientist. So the Three Sisters Islands, offerings were presented on the islands by the Iroquois. That much is true. But no sacrifice or anything sinister was involved. The offerings were more along the lines of gifts and presents to the spirit. And Goat Island, not demonic, though it was a large part of an H.G. Wells novel, the 1908 work The War in the Air is set on Goat Island, or at least a large portion of the novel is. And during the novel, the United States is invaded by Imperial Germany, and the protagonist is left stranded on the island when the bridges are destroyed. And it turns out he's been stranded on Goat Island with two German soldiers, and he must fight for survival. Which is really exciting stuff, but sadly, the name of Goat Islands, the origins, not so interesting or exciting. No, Goat Island is quite literally named because John Steadman, who was an early pioneer, kept a herd of goats on the island. So the name is very descriptive. It's very literal. The island officially obtained the name, however, in 1780 when he returned after a terrible winter to find all but one of his goats had died. Now, if you know anything about Western New York winters, which I've described briefly, With both Great Lakes, Lake Ontario and Lake Erie, lake effect snow is crazy and winters are absolutely terrible. It gets so cold that Niagara Falls can literally freeze in place. Mind you, again, one of the most 
powerful waterfalls in the world, it can freeze in place. That's how cold it gets. And he just left his goats to like chill, no pun intended, on the island for the winter. A little sus, but okay. You do you, John Steadman. I'm not here to judge. You're hurting. I know nothing about goats or bleating. Other than the fact that Goat Island is literally named after dead goats and not the devil, there is a very neat Nikola Tesla monument on the island that was gifted by the government of Yugoslavia, and it's pretty remarkable. Um, I do have a very flamboyant picture of myself in who what I call Daddy Tesla's lap um, from a few years ago when I scaled the statue. Scaled the snatch. Oh my goodness, scaled the statue. I cannot talk today. Glad I'm recording a podcast. But uh, shh, it didn't happen. It's probably illegal. And probably an insult to the government of Yugoslavia, but I'll slap it on the gram for you to see, which, little plug, follow the podcast on Instagram at Crimes and Witch Demeanors for goodies relating to this episode and all episodes. I will put old photographs, scans of documents that we use and whatnot on there for you to see. But I think Daddy Tesla is probably a good place to end today's episode. I know today's episode was a little bit different in terms of what we covered and how we covered it, but next week we are going to get back to our ghostly roots, and we are going to be investigating the many spirits of Ohio's Kenyon College. And let me tell you, Kenyon College, they have some really, really good ghost stories, so you're going to want to stick around for that. It gets crazy. So as always, make sure if you are listening on iTunes and you haven't already, leave us a cute little review. It helps with our placement in the charts and helps get the word out to new listeners. If you're listening on another platform like Overcast, shout out to my Overcast peeps. Just thank you. And if you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, share it with them. You never know. They could join our little ghostly family. I hope today's episode wasn't too nasally because allergies are currently destroying my sinuses. But until next time, just remember, crucifixes do nothing to help save you from ancient cave spirits. I sounded like Moira Rose. Anyways, stay spooky. Bye. (laughs) 